And to which Helen Keller replied, yes, there is. Sight without vision is worse than blindness. You know, with physical sight, people see things the way they are. But with vision, we see things the way they could be. And indeed, with, with godly vision, we see things not only the way they could be, but we see things the way they should be, and not just the way they are with physical sight. You need vision. More than sight, you need vision for God's gift to work through you in a way that both glorifies Him and is useful and helpful to others. We've been preaching about gifts and, and, and God putting gifts within us. And so this morning I want to talk about vision. And I want to talk about vision as, as distinct from just sight or seeing. Because if we're going to move in the gifts of God, the gifts that God's put into our life, the callings, the ministries, the gifts of the Spirit, these all require seeing with vision and not just seeing with sight. In Mark chapter 8, verse 23 through 25, Jesus heals a blind man, and he does it in a very strange and peculiar way, deliberately to illustrate the difference between mere sight and vision. I'd like to read the account to you. It says, Jesus took the blind man by the hand, and he led him out of the village. Then spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him, and then asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around and said, Yes, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hand on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. That man represents us before we came to Jesus Christ, when we were under the blindness of sin. That's the illustration that the Lord wants us to take from this, uh, this testimony and how he healed the man of blindness. So being blind is like being unsaved in the world. And uh, when we're blinded by sin, we're like that blind man. The world is an unsafe place if you're blind. And secondly, you're dependent upon others for survival. In a world where sight is absolutely necessary to, to have freedom of movement and to come and go, that's why the man asked Helen Keller, is there anything that's possibly worse than blindness? Because you really, at that point, you're dependent uh, in your life. And everything, even the safest of environments, your own home, is dangerous to you because you can't see where you're going. But I want you to notice in this testimony that Jesus heals the man. He gives him vision in two stages. And there's a reason for that. And the reason is, is because there is a difference between sight and vision. And so with the first touch, Jesus gives the man sight. But with the second touch, he gives the man clarity or vision. You see, the man says, oh, I see, but everybody looks like just trees to me. I really don't see them. I kind of see their outline, but I, I don't see any detail. So he doesn't have any insight into what he's seeing. He just has physical sight. But with the second touch, 
Jesus gives the man insight. He gives him clarity. And the man says, I see all things clearly now. And that's the message that Jesus was trying to say about when you come to the Lord and he removes the sin of blindness and opens your eyes, there's two touches. Now, I'm not trying to create a, a bi-salvational, B-I-salvational experience that there's two levels of salvation. I'm not trying to create a doctrine. Um, but I think there's something to be said for the fact that there's a second touch. There's a first touch that we receive from the Lord, and it allows us to see the world around us and to move as Christians through life without stumbling over obstacles or colliding with other people. That's one thing that coming to Jesus should, should do for you is you stop clashing with other people because you don't see them. You stop stumbling over the stumbling blocks of sin because you can now see you've got sight. But there's a second touch that we need. Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about this morning. If you can see where I'm going with this, Christians need a second touch because we need more than just having our eyes open so that we see other people or can move through life. We need insight. We need clarity. We need spiritual vision in order to operate like the Lord in this world. In fact, I would say the first touch is for your benefit so that you can move through life. But the second touch is a ministry touch. The second touch that Jesus gives is for God's benefit in your life. It's so that God can use you when you look at the things that you see. How, who's following me this morning? Do you see what I'm talking about? You know, there are so many Christians that are living in the first touch. They're not seeking God for the second touch. They're happy just to get through life. They're happy just to go around and not have those personal collisions or stumblings like they used to have before. But there's a second touch, and God is wanting to know who wants that second touch. Who's willing to complain and say, I don't see things clearly the way God would have me to see them. I want to have clarity. I want to have vision. You know, I ask myself, why didn't the Lord just heal him one touch? Boom! You've got clarity. You've got sight. You've got it all. Because I believe that the second touch, which is necessary for vision, which is necessary to have the kind of insight so that you can rise above yourself and really see the people that you're looking at, see the world and its conditions the way God wants you to see it, that must be chosen. Those that have sight, those whom God has touched their eyes, those who have a Christian worldview need to go back to God and ask for the second touch. Lord, I see people, but they look like trees walking. This is sometimes why the world, or excuse me, the church is not effective in the world because they don't see people as God sees them. They see them as trees walking. You know, when you see people as trees walking, they're not really intimate to you. You don't see the detail of their life. You don't see the character, the personality. You don't see the pains. You don't see anything that's on the inside. You just see the outer form. And oftentimes it's like driving up and down the road or walking through a mall. How many of you have ever been to a major city? How many of you have ever been in downtown Manhattan and uh, uh, walked around Times Square, any major city, where there's just throngs of people? 
It's like walking in the woods. Everybody's like, occasionally you may make an eye contact or may really notice, but it's fleeting, it's quick. We just pass by people, we don't notice them. We're passing by people who have lives just like we do. They have joy, they have sorrow, they have pain, they have suffering. No matter what they look like on the outside, you may just say, well, that looks like a palm tree. That's a southerner. That's a maple tree. That's a northerner. And that's, a, that's all that we see. But if you're going to minister, if you're going to move in the gifts, you've got to see more. You've got to see all men clearly. You've got to be able to see the way God sees. Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about. God gives sight in two stages. The first is his gift, but the second is your choice. The second comes because you seek God for it. Are you listening to me? There's a deeper vision that God wants to give Christians. And I have discovered over these many decades that I've walked with the Lord that it doesn't come automatically with the package of the new birth. Once you're born again, once your eyes are open and you begin to grow and read your Bible and pray and go to church and get involved in Christian things, one day you're going to wake up if it hasn't happened already. You're going to look around you and you're going to say, you know something, I read about Paul, I read about Peter, I read about these people in the Bible and there was something that drives them and you think you just need to go to church and get more passion. What you're lacking is not more passion. What you need is a second touch. You need a vision. You need your eyes open. You need to be elevated. When Moses knew that he was not going to lead the children of Israel, who he had delivered out of Egypt, had brought 40 years through the wilderness, standing at Kadesh Barnea, it was time for the people to go into the promised land. And God said, you're not going to lead them in. Joshua, who has been your apprentice, he's going to lead them in. He said, I want you to take Joshua up on Mount Pisgah. It was a mountain there by the Jordan River, very high. He said, take him up on that mountain and let him look across the Jordan River and look into the Jordan River Valley and see the land of Canaan, the land of promise. Take him up there, just you and him, and get him up there and just let him look and talk to him about what I've shown you and let him get his eyes filled with it. It was only then that he brought Joshua back down and stood him in front of the people, laid hands on him. He said, this man's seen the promised land. He's going to take you in. You see, you've got to have vision if you're going to lead people anywhere. Don't follow somebody if they've only got one touch. Make sure that people you listen to have got their eyes open. They're people who've received the second touch. God wants you to be a leader in your community, in your family, and among the people that he has placed you. So seek him for the second touch so that you can be effective and see all things clearly. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Too many Christians are satisfied to be one-touch Christians with just enough sight, like I said, to get through life. That's why Jesus heals with two touches. You know, Two things happen when you receive the second touch. When you receive clarity, when you see things clearly, when you receive vision, you receive two things automatically begin to happen. The first one is that what you see will grieve you. It's not going to make you happy. When you see in this world clearly what God sees, you'll become grieved. You will become burdened. But the second thing that's going to happen is that God's gift will begin to stir in you. So the first thing is that grief will arise because of what you see. 
But at the very same time, what you see will provoke the gift of God to rise up within you. Wait for it. Look for it. But I find that the gift of God does not really rise up and come to light in the lives of people who are satisfied with just the one touch. They're ready, they're willing as Christians to just go through the patterns and the motions. They, they're not seeking God for that deeper vision, for that second touch. But when you seek Him for the second touch, that's when your gifts begin to become clear. In the book of Jude, which only has one chapter, verses 21 through 23 say, Maintain, or in the King James it says, keep, maintain, keep yourselves in the love of God while anticipating the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that brings eternal life. And have mercy on those who waver. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. Have mercy on others, coupled with a fear of God, hating even the clothes stained by the flesh. Listen to what Jude is saying. When you receive clarity, when God opens your eyes as you go through life, you will begin to snatch people out of the fire. You will begin to see people who are double-minded. You'll see all the ugliness. You'll see all the weakness, not only in yourself, but you'll see it in others. You'll notice it to the point where you don't want to see it anymore. You don't want to notice it. And Jude says you will see it. And he says, reach down, pull them out of the flames, even though you hate the very clothing stained by the flesh. But he opens up that exhortation by saying, therefore, maintain and keep yourself in the love of God. It's the only way that you can see what you're going to see when God opens your eyes is if you look in God's love. With the second touch comes a vision that will bring you pain, disappointment, even betrayal. You know, they say ignorance is bliss. And it's absolutely true. But when you receive that second touch, you can't be ignorant anymore. That's why you need to keep yourself in the ark of God's love. Hallelujah. Is, um, is because when we look at others, and we see the things that are wrong in other people's lives, it's going to pull on two areas of your life. Either you're going to hate what you see, and the flesh will offer you the option to react, or you're going to be in the love of God and let God speak to you about what you're seeing. The Lord wants us to have the second touch. Can you say amen? amen. So we need to stay in the ark of God's love. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12, one of my favorite uh, statements that Jesus makes about the last days says, and this is Jesus talking, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Do you think lawlessness is increasing? How many of you have been saved, let's say, over five years or more? Let me ask this, over the five years or more that you have been watching the world, do you think lawlessness is increasing? As you look, is the craziness getting crazier? Is the hate becoming more hateful? Is everything that is wrong with the world deepening? Uh, now, the reality is there are many things in society that they say by certain measurements are, in, are improving. 
But the reality is, is that the things that are dark relative to sin and corruption are becoming more dark. And so Jesus warns that as iniquity or as lawlessness increases, the love of many of God's people will grow cold. The word that he uses there for love is not the love that people in the world have. It's a special love that only Christians have. It's the love that Romans 5 and 5 was talking about where it says that when you get saved, the love or the agape of God is poured out into your heart by the Holy Spirit. So agape can only come to you through the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. You cannot get agape because you decide you're going to like people. You can't get agape because you decide you're going to sympathize with people. There are a lot of people in the world that get brokenhearted and become empathetic towards others. But agape, the love of God, is more than just empathy. It's empathy with the will of God insinuated into it, God's answer for how to respond, how God wants to respond to that need. It's not just seeing the hurting, it's seeing them the way God sees them and what his answers are. And so agape can only be given to a Christian by the Holy Spirit. And so Romans 5.5 5 says the love of God, the agape, is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. So if we go back to Matthew 24, where Jesus says, because lawlessness will increase, the agape of many will grow cold. Now that is a terrifying prediction about the last days. The warning that Jesus is giving, he has now turned away from warning society about their corruption, about worshiping idols, about hate, and about their lust for power, and fornication, and lying, and greed, and all those other things. He turns away from pointing out what's going to happen to the world, and he looks straight at the body of Christ. He looks straight at the believers of the last day, and he warns, and he lays down on the table the greatest warning of all. He says, I warn you that because you're going to see all these things happening out there, your love of many of you is going to be robbed out of your heart because of the lawlessness that is going to abound. Abandoning God's love is Jesus' greatest warning to God's end-time people who have clarity and vision enough to see the offense. Listen, many of God's people with just mere sight will become offended because they see on the news and, and around them every day the craziness of society. They're going to become offended. They're going to become angry and frustrated about what they see. And so as what love wears down, they're going to want to withdraw from populated areas. They're going to want to pull back into seclusion. They're going to want to leave the cities. They're going to want to go out. And there's nothing wrong with going out into the country. How many of you love going out into the country? But... When you allow the fact that you can't deal with what's going on anymore to be the reason you flee, you pull back, you withdraw, because you do, not, not only are you offended by what you see, you know, you, it's beyond you. You can't deal with it. I, I don't know what to say to these people. I don't know how to reach them. I don't know how to talk to them. This is crazy. I've never seen things like this before. 
You see, the Christian needs to be careful. We need the second touch because with the second touch comes not only the love but the, the, the wisdom to deal. No matter how dark, no matter how oppressive, no matter how evil, no matter how crazy or seemingly lost society becomes, love can always see God's path into their heart. Right. Hallelujah. But many, many of God's people, because of what they see with just sight, are going to want to pull back because they don't have the second touch and the vision that it brings. Even some of God's prophets in this hour are going to feel pressured to change their message from warning against judgment to decreeing judgment. They're going to stop going and warning society, judgment is coming. You are going to have to give an answer to God for what's going on and the way you're living. And they're going to go beyond that. They're going to feel pressured because things are so bad that they're just going to start decreeing judgment. They're going to all of a sudden wake up and think they're Jeremiah or one of the Old Testament prophets. And they're going to want to start to decree judgment because they no longer see an answer in the grace of God. They don't see it because they have sight, but their vision is dimming. Are you listening? They have enough sight to see what's going on, but the vision is not clear. They are seeing men as trees. They're not seeing them as God sees them. Some Christians, seeing the spirit of rebellion behind the culture of foolishness around them. Do I need to describe what that's like? We turn on the news, we see these... Uh, these mobs out in the street, riots, we think, how come these people aren't being arrested? Why are people able to break into restaurants and take over the whole restaurant and, and uh, abuse the patrons? Why is all this craziness, this foolishness able to, able to go on and it's unchecked? Even in the very halls of Congress, in the most sacred and highest places of the authority of our land, we see absolute anarchy being permitted. And so you sit and watch this go on, and you see that behind the foolish behavior is an is a evil spirit of rebellion. And many Christians are going to see that because they see what's going on, they see what it is, and they're going to become angry. And this is what Jesus is warning about in the last days. Many Christians are going to become angry and they're going to do exactly what a couple of the disciples did. Lord, it's time to call down fire. Shall we call down fire from heaven? A couple of the disciples said to Jesus, because Jesus was preaching and, the, and, and Jesus ran into a pack of ingrates. And so Jesus is talking about eternal life, and Peter and John are going, come on, Jesus, go preach, man. Tell them about that. Open the eye. And he's healing them. He's telling them about it, the kingdom of God. And these ingrates, they don't, they don't receive what he says. And so Peter and John, you can just see them brushing Jesus aside. We're ready, Lord, to serve you. You want us? We call some fire down on these boys. These, these boys need to learn a lesson. But Jesus said to the disciples, you boys don't know what spirit you're of. Listen to that answer. He said, I've not come to the world to destroy the world. I've come into the world to save the world. I haven't come so that they might be damned by my coming. I've come so that they might be saved. They're damned already by their sins. I've come so they can be redeemed, so they can be saved. You don't know what spirit you're operating of. What he was saying is, 
You boys just got the first touch. You, you are operating under the spirit of your flesh because you don't have the second touch. You don't see things clearly. You see men as trees walking, and you're seeing poison trees. You're going, we need to call fire down, clear these trees out of here. Are you listening? So you know what I'm talking about. Even Jesus said to his disciples, no, 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 no. The problem isn't that they're a bunch of foolish rebels. The problem is we don't have people with a second touch. We don't have people with the kind of vision that God can move through. Listen, God's got an answer for the world today. And it's the one that came into the world over 2,000 years ago. That answer hasn't changed. Listen, is, is uh, Jesus still able to deliver? Is he still, has, have they grown devils in the 21st century that are too big for God to handle? Has sin become so dark? Have people become so bad that, the, that God doesn't know how to reach their hearts? Hallelujah. How many of you want the second touch? How many of you want to say, Lord, open my eyes. I want to see all things clearly. Because when I look out and I see men as trees walking, they make me angry. When I look out at them and they just look like they're, they're faceless to me, I don't see their soul. It's too easy for me to judge them. It's too easy for me to criticize them. I, when I see them as trees walking, I just go palm trees over there, oak trees over there, mulberry trees over there, thorn bushes over there. I just group them and categorize them. Are you listening? Do you understand? When we see men as trees walking, we just group them. But when you see all things clearly, you see into the heart. You see, our assignment in the world today is not to become offended, but to become redemptive. Some people get saved and all of a sudden they're, they, they're offended at stuff they used to do. I mean, is that what being saved is? Do, do, is that how that improves? Do, do, is it an improvement when people start criticizing and becoming offended at the lying, the cheating, stealing, and fornicating they used to participate in? Anybody can criticize fornication. Anybody can condemn lying. Now, there's nothing wrong when you're asked what is wrong and what's right, to just give a simple, non-condemning answer. This is what the Word of God says about what is right. This is what the Word of God says about what is wrong. That's not condemning people. That's just saying this is what the truth of the Word of God is. But listen, it's no improvement if you get saved and all you can do is criticize the things God's saved you out of. Oh, Jesus, help us. Thank you, Lord. We got saved not to be offended. We got saved to be redemptive. I mean, if anything, you know, sinners can tolerate sinners. Have you ever noticed it? It's amazing how sinners can get around other sinners and tolerate. Get Christians around them, they got no patience. They can't put up with this. I'm not staying here. These people are stupid. This is ridiculous. This rubs my fur the wrong way. Well, if it, if it rubs the cat's fur the wrong way, maybe the cat ought to turn around. <laughs> I don't know. That's in Proverbs somewhere. Look it up. So uh, 2 Corinthians 5 and 15. Listen, 
2 Corinthians 5 and 15 says, the love of Christ constrains us so that from now on, we're to judge no one any longer according to the flesh. I mean, there it is right there. Because you're saved, God wants you to have the second touch. He's opened your eyes, but he's waiting. Will you come to him and say, Lord, I need elevation. I need clarity. I need vision. Take me up to Pisgah. Touch me with the second touch. Help me to see all things clearly. I don't want to go through life just seeing men as trees walking. I don't want to go through life, and it's just easy for me to criticize all the things that I used to once do. Instead, Lord, I, I want to walk in love, and I want to be redemptive, not condemning and judging people according to the flesh, but, but reaching them with saving grace according to the gospel of Jesus. Know no one any longer after the flesh. Then how are we to know them? We're to know them through the love of Christ. When you look at people, I wonder if, if, I, if I were asked to go and give the message in an Antifa church, could I do it? I would love that. I would love that. The Church of Antifa. Some of you don't know what Antifa Google it. A-N-T-I-F-A. But, you know, if I were to sit in a group of uh, God-hating anarchists who've gathered to have church. I don't know what they'd have church about, but whatever it is. We have a guest speaker today. Pastor Nick Champ's going to come and address us today. I would love that. I'd be on my face seeking God. Lord, what is, what is the love of God saying to these people who are where I used to be? I was a hater of Christians. I served the devil, although I didn't call him the devil by name. I just served him by my practices. I was as dark and godless as you could possibly be. In fact, if I think about it, remember, I had a lot in common. Could I do that? Could I cross the street to talk to somebody who I would prefer with my natural sight to just ignore? You know, when you walk by your natural sight, you cut a path around a lot of people. You avoid a lot of people just because your natural sight says that's an object. Don't stumble over that. But if you had the second touch, would you see something that would draw you to that person? I want to challenge you this week with a simple exhortation. As you go out to dinner or go throughout your week, go to work next uh, tomorrow, just go throughout your day or even with your, your familiar friends and family members. I want to ask you if you would be willing to ask the Lord, Lord, I see people as trees walking. Open my eyes and help me to see them clearly the way you see them. And then you're not going to like what you see. And in fact, people who have had their eyes open usually are betrayed and find themselves in conflict because people don't like to be seen. So you have to deal in love and you have to walk in love and you have to handle people with the love of God. You know, even people that are blinded by sin can tell when they're being handled by love. They can tell when they're being touched by kindness. Can you say amen? amen. That's a sign of a miracle. You know, that is truly, I, know, I don't know about you, but it is in me, in my life, definitely a sign of a miracle.
You see, the second touch gives Jesus, uh, with the second touch, Jesus, rather, gives us the clarity not only to see the good, the bad, and the ugly, but to see in Christ how to maintain yourself in the love of God and find the path, his path, into the people's hearts. Remember the spirit of offense is a two-sided coin. It's got two functions. The first thing the spirit of offense does is it lures fools into outrageous behavior. The spirit of offense moves through the community and finds whoever the fools are. And you know you can depend on some people. And so that, that, that spirit of the devil moves, and there they go like lemmings. The fools are out being outrageous and, and uh, being offensive. So that's the first thing the spirit of offense does. But you know the second thing the spirit of offense does? Once it gets the fools being outrageous and offensive, then he runs into the church and finds a bunch of Christians and leads them out and says, look at those fools over there being offensive. And the spirit of offense moves on the Christians and talks to them about what they see, and the Christians reject the offenders. Once that's happened, it's like an electronic circuit. The offense is complete. There's an offense giver, and now there's an offense taker. And when you just walk by sight, you're an offense taker. You're taking offense every time you see things that rub you the wrong way. Does that mean that, that you're wrong and they're right? No. What you see is wrong. What you see is corrupt. What you see is outrageous. It is offensive. But remember our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who walked in unbelievable corruption and betrayal and religious hypocrisy and was able to minister the perfect love of God in each situation. I'll close with this verse out of Ephesians chapter 3. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all of God's people what is the, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I'd like, if you would, to just stand with me this morning. And I am going to call everybody to come because this is a prayer that every one of us can pray. And I'd just like you to come and gather with me around the front as we close. We're going to pray for the Lord to give us that second touch to open our eyes and so that we might know that love that surpasses knowledge and be filled with all of his fullness. Hallelujah. So come. Let's just gather together. Just kind of bunch up close.